what a joy it is to have Danny Singleton with us. Danny, uh, for those of you here last night, uh, learned all about Danny. That uh, you know he's uh, from Georgia, Alabama. Lives now in Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, former basketball coach, former athlete, uh, evangelist, preacher, all around good guy. Danny, we're glad you're here. I think that's enough introduction. Come and share the word of God with us. Thank you, Pastor. Quite honestly, I was expecting a standing ovation, but I'll do. Well, y'all, thank you, Pastor. I said that before he had time to sit down. Amen. I have uh, several things I want to share with you uh, before I begin. The first of which is... If you were there last night and you served or you prepared food or you invited guests, you were a part of the wild game feed, would you stand to your feet right now? I want to tell you, y'all were amazing. Unstinking believable. Y'all were great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You may be seated. I appreciate all of your efforts. Y'all were just stunning. Pastor, I want to say thank you to you. Uh, most people in this room won't understand this. But when you invite somebody to fill your pulpit, that is a sacred trust. And there's great trepidation in doing that. So I know that I'll never be invited back again. So I'm going to do my very best to mess everything up here today. But Pastor Sam, thank you. Thank you. What a great church. Calvary, good morning to you. I hope you're doing, doing well. Now I need to do a couple other things. One is I need to make Uh, I'm going to preach a message entitled One Word, but I I need to make one apology. If you watched the video earlier, you know that I ain't from around here, all right? Now, if you didn't understand that, you don't understand Alabama, and you know that I didn't know the difference in Nevada and Nevada, amen? So I'm glad to be in Nevada today. Can I get a witness there, all right? I am glad to be in Nevada. So thank you for forgiving a boy who's an alien and a stranger in a foreign land, all right? I am from the deep south, so I know how to say y'all and fixing and mumming him and all that stuff, all right? So some of y'all are going to need a translator. And some of you are going to be deeply, deeply uh, confused before you leave here today. So I'm just grateful to be here with you. So I am going to preach this message entitled One Word. But before, I want to give you one phrase. Matter, I'm going to give you an admonition. Everybody say, give it to me, boy. All right? I'm going to give you an admonition. Are y'all ready? Don't judge. Don't judge. Because as soon as I tell you what I'm fixing to tell you, fixing, y'all hear that? That's that southern Alabama coming out, right? You can take the Alabama, the boy out of Alabama, you can't take the Alabama out of the boy, right? So let me, as I begin to tell you what I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to judge me, especially you men. So stop it right now. Don't judge me. Yeah, I found myself at a Goodwill store with my wife. I can hear the judgment coming right now. You men are laughing at me right now. I can see it. I feel it, right? I was at a Goodwill store. It's a a monstrous thrift store. And we were down there, and y'all know what I did. My my wife walked in the store, and she's looking for all these bargains. And I immediately made my way to the book section. (laughs) And I sat there for about an hour and a half because I stumbled on to this book. And the title of this book is One Word That Will Change Your Life. One word that will change your life. 
And I was caught by that book. I was raptured by that book. It kind of got my attention because I knew the author. John Gordon and Dan Britton and Jimmy Page wrote this book in 2014. And they wrote it because my friend John Gordon is a coach to coaches. He's he's a motivator and a counselor, as it were, for coaches and how to bring out the best in their players. And he wrote this book, One Word That Will Change Your Life. And the reason I was caught up by it, because my daughter is a high school softball player for the last two years. Today, she's a college softball player at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. She's literally playing right now in Valdosta, Georgia, in the afternoon in South Georgia. But her high school team read this book and embraced that phrase. And I watched my daughter embrace one word for her junior season. And that one word was simplicity. And simplicity helped her. It literally transformed her performance life as a softball player. She began to hit home runs at one after another because she simplified the mechanics of her swing and simplified the game. It ain't nothing but a ball coming and hit the ball. And because of that, her performance elevated. The following year, you, you don't know my life, but we've been through some challenging church scenarios. And because of that, my daughter had been deeply, deeply hurt by church folks, and especially the girls in that church community. And my daughter was wounded by all that. And the truth is, she built up a wall around her. She wouldn't let anybody in. And many of you women know what I'm talking about. So she began to pray for God to give her her one word for her senior season. And she stumbled on the word, trust. I want to trust that these girls love me. I want to trust my coaches. I want to trust my skills. I want to trust my abilities. I want to trust my preparation. And she had a stellar senior year and just performed at an unusual level. So I'm sitting there at the Goodwill store and I saw this book and I thought to myself, I want to read the backdrop of that whole narrative. So sitting there at the Goodwill store in an hour and 15 minutes, I read the book from cover to cover. And I made up my mind right then that I was going to embrace one word for 2020 to change my life. You see, the reason I said that is because a few months back, I had a really challenging thing happen in my own life. As a matter of fact, I stumbled onto one author that I'd never heard of before. The author's name was Miss Sarah. She's a poet. And she wrote this phrase. Why don't you read it with me out loud? Here it comes right now. Life will hit you hard in the face and wait for you to get back up just so it can kick you in the stomach. But getting the wind knocked out of you is the only way to remind your lungs how much they like the taste of air. And when she wrote that in a video blog, it absolutely took my breath away. Because six and a half months ago, I got sucker punched. I had the wind knocked out of me. Emotionally, relationally, and even spiritually. 
And I'm just telling you, I was even in that Goodwill store in October of this past year. After one of the most brutal surprises of my life in August of 2019. Struggling to even breathe. Struggling to catch my breath. Struggling to make sense of my new normal. I read that book and God began to move on my heart. Man, I, I, I know this place. I know this place of desperation. Now, I don't know who's in the room. I know virtually no one in the room's name except John and pastors. So beyond that, I know nothing about your circumstances. All I came to do is to testify to you that my lungs like the taste of air. And I bet you that somebody sitting close to you right now is carrying a burden that you can't even imagine. I bet that somebody sitting close to you is is suffocating under the weight of life and the heaviness of life. Some of you are suffering from the suffocation of a lack of financial air. Maybe somebody sitting close to you is suffering from the weight of needing health air. There might be a cancer victim or somebody with leukemia. Or maybe like me, you're carrying the weight of a prodigal son and wondering, are they ever going to come back? To Jesus. See, I don't know what you're going through, but I know this place. And I came today with the express purpose of speaking into your life and hopefully speaking air into you that you might breathe again. Literally, the weekend that I was caught off guard. And my new normal was beyond my comprehension. I was sitting in a church service at another church, not the one I was pastoring, because I just resigned from my pastorate at 10 o'clock in the morning. So I went to the 8 o'clock worship service at another church just to have my soul fed before I resigned my fellowship. And as I was doing that, the pastor stood up and he made a statement. One sentence, and it changed my life. If you're listening, say, tell me what it was. Bitterness. Bitterness is the unharvested fruit of anger. And sitting there in that church service at 8 o'clock, with tears running down my face, I cried out to God in the silence of that moment, alone by myself, on the back row at a church with 2,000 people sitting in attendance, nobody knowing the pain that I was going through. I cried out, God, I don't want to get better. I want to get better. I want to breathe again. I just want to breathe again. That was one sentence from one pastor after reading one word that will change your life. Three weeks later in that same church, they were casting the vision for a new building program. A $32 million improvement. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. That's a big ask. He was casting the vision for all of that. 
And I'm telling you, I didn't, I didn't expect it. I was still under the weight of all of my new normal. And I'm sitting on the back row. And they begin to sing a song that I had never heard before. As a matter of fact, it completely caught me off guard. Now, the song was about a year old when I heard it. But it was written by an African, a Nigerian songwriter named Sanash Joseph. And she sang this song, not that day, because the praise band sang it with a different kind of arrangement, but it was literally a song I'd never heard. And as they sang that one song, I just want to tell you, something happened inside of me. Strength came into me. Sitting on the back row with my wife and two of my children, I was overwhelmed by the new freshness that was in my heart. I bet you've heard this song before. Why don't you read the lyrics with me out loud? You're a way maker. You're a miracle worker. You're a promise keeper. You're a light in the darkness. That is who you are. And as they sang that song, I began to sob uncontrollably. Because I serve a way maker. I serve a God that has made promises to his covenant people. I promise you, he's a light in your darkness. And on that day, he was a light in my darkness. See, I don't know about you, but the great preacher, Bill Stafford, made it famous saying these words. You're either in a storm, or you just got out of one, or you're headed to one. Are y'all with me? How many of you in this room right now are facing something bigger than you are and it really is hard to find your bearings? Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here carrying a heavy weight? So I believe God brought me here to encourage you that we serve a way maker. We serve a promise keeper. We serve a God that is a light in a darkness. Now, I know nothing about music. I don't know the words to happy birthday or jingle bells. Can I get a witness here? And I know nothing about music, but I do know a term in musical songwriting is called the bridge. See, you sing the verse and then the chorus, and then there's this bridge that takes you to the crescendo of the song. See, he really is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light of dark. That is who he is. But the bridge says this. Why don't you read it with me out loud? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Church, that's who he is. And I promise you, Sitting in that church, listening to that one song, in the middle of my breathlessness, in the middle of my fear and disillusionment and discouragement and defeated nature, God spoke into my life and strengthened me in the inner man. It was an overwhelming moment. I'll say this to you. On December the 29th, I was preaching at First Baptist Church of Piedmont, Alabama. I've been invited there many times. 
preached there at least a half a dozen times. And this day I was invited to preach and it was a sweet time. But I want to tell you, if you're listening, say I'm listening. I was scared. Pastor, I was fearful. I was truly afraid to preach. You see, after what happened to me in August, this was the first time that I had preached since then, and I was fearful I couldn't do this anymore. I did not want to try to do it in the flesh. I didn't want to try to do it alone. And I stood that morning to preach to about 250 people, terrified, trembling on the inside, trepidation was overwhelming and suffocating me. I preached another message and as I preached that day, something happened that I can't explain. The altars were full, people were saved, people were crying and after I got done, I stood down front and people came by, patted me on the back and hugged me around the neck, kissed me on the cheek, told me how special it was and then I saw him. He was 84 years old. He came waddling up the aisle and he got close to me and he said these words, you don't know who I am and that doesn't matter. My name is Billy. I'm 84 years old. I've been in this church for 84 years and nine months. I've heard the greatest preachers in the Southern Baptist Convention and boy, I just want you to know That something happened here today. And God used you in my life. And every person on planet earth needs to hear that message. Boy, you keep doing what you're doing. And the floodgates came. And I began to weep uncontrollably. Because that unknown Billy came up to me and spoke life into me. See, you might have stumbled in here to Calvary today, but today my name is not Danny. My name is Billy. I came to do today what Billy did for me. I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but I believe that God wants to breathe life into somebody here today. I left Piedmont, Alabama that day and we drove back to Cleveland, Tennessee and we have a thing called the Greenway. The Greenway is a seven mile walking trail and I've been walking four miles every night. Now it's eight o'clock so I grabbed my dog and I said I'll be back in a little bit. So Nova and I began to take a four mile walk and I began to pray. I said God I've been looking for my one word and I don't know what it is but I sure am grateful today for what you did in my life. I thank you for Billy and I thank you for how Billy encouraged me today. He didn't know the darkness that I was walking in. He didn't know the fear, the trepidation that I was walking in. But God, you spoke into my life today. Thank you for that. But God, I really want you to give me my one word. And as I was walking, I don't know what happened. It's kind of mystical. I don't understand it. I didn't hear voices. But my mind raced to one text in the Bible. I'd already met one man, Billy. My pastor has spoken one word into my life. I heard one song. I'm seeking my one word. And now I'm overwhelmed with this passage of scripture. And I didn't know what to do. One walk, one passage. I got back home. Literally, it's around 10 o'clock when I got back to the house. 
I went straight to my office. And in my office is all my commentaries and all my Logos software material for Bible study. And I dove into my study and I began to research this passage. And at 4 o'clock in the morning I was done. I was just raptured thinking about that text. Because God had just put it on my mind for some reason. And in the middle of that one passage, my one word seeped out. And I'm just telling you, I'm standing here today, and this one word is changing my life. One of the greatest contemporary theologians of our generation is a guy named John Piper. John Piper said about this particular text, it is an acted out parable. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? Now, I'm going to do something right now that some of you are going to be a little uncomfortable with. But I pray that you'll trust me here today. I'm not going to ask you, please don't open your Bible. I want you to go home and I want you to study this text at home. But I want your eyes up and I want your attention here. Everything you're going to see is going to be on the screen. You'll get every single piece of this. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. So you read it in your translation when you get home. But I want this to wash over you. And to speak into your life the way it spoke into mine. See the passage I found in my own heart was this one. I got to thinking about the darkest day in human history. We call that Good Friday. When Jesus hung on a tree. After being beaten beyond recognition and he died on a tree. Then he was taken down and put into a borrowed tomb. And then after three days, Mary Magdalene shows up the tomb and she finds out, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's alive. She left. The Bible teaches that Mary and Mary also had an encounter with the risen Lord that day. Dr. Luke teaches us that the two disciples were walking down the Emmaus Road and they encountered the risen Lord Jesus on that day. They got to their home and after he broke bread and prayed, he disappeared and they got up and they ran seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the women, he is alive. We met him today. In the middle of all that, the women said to the Emmaus Road disciples, yes, we know he has appeared to Peter today. It's the only place in your Bible where you see that recorded. So here Jesus has made four appearances after the resurrection. And we stumble on to this Easter story. Easter evening, most commentators will tell you it's around 8 p.m. in the evening. Most will conclude that this is once again in the upper room. I don't know if that's true or not. But if it is, that's pretty substantial. But what we're going to do is look at just a few verses from Easter Sunday in the evening with the disciples locked behind closed doors, fearful and scared and completely unusually moved with trepidation. The Bible says this. Why don't you read it with me? Here it comes. On the evening of that day, by the way, that day is Easter. It's the evening of Easter day. 
The first day of the week, the doors were being locked. They don't get that word goofed because that word literally simply means closed and latched. It doesn't mean barricaded and impenetrable. Somebody could have easily opened the door and Jesus walked in. Jesus could have unlocked it himself and somehow walked in. It wasn't some mystical, spooky thing. It could have been. The Bible is silent on that. And the great theologian Adrian Rogers said, where the Bible is silent, we better hush. So I don't know what this was like. Everybody say it with me out loud. I don't either. either. We don't know what really happened here. But the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And it's easy for us to cast darts on them and say, well, they were hiding because they were afraid. Yes, of course they're afraid. They're all thinking, who's next? Am I next? But do not negate the fact that in their fear, they gathered together in the last place that they'd ever encountered Christ. They were bold enough to assemble together just like you are today. I have no idea what's going on in her heart, but she's been sobbing, weeping, just wiping tears away ever since we got here. To God be the glory that she was brave enough to come to the house of God today. Whatever you're carrying, I want to applaud you and say thank you for coming to the house of God, around the word of God, around the work of God, with the people of God. You're to be applauded for being here today, regardless of what you're carrying. So give yourself a break and just breathe here today. They were locked behind doors for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus came. Oh, yeah, y'all aren't ready. I can tell. Jesus came. Uh, y- y'all ain't ready yet. Jesus came. He did not promise this appearing. He told the boys in Gethsemane, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But now, poof, here he is. And I want to declare to you that he's here right now. I want to declare to you that in the middle of whatever you're going through, Jesus is here. Calvary, y'all are doing so much. Y'all are a busy church. And you're busy doing who's your one. You're busy doing a a Jewish Seder thing. You're busy here doing a a special thing at Easter. You're here going to knock it on off. To God be the glory for your activity. But I don't want you to miss the fact that he is here today. We came and gathered to worship him. We didn't come to gather to punch out on our spiritual checklist. Jesus has come and he's standing. I'm standing on his word and you cannot separate the word of God from the God of the word. He is here. But this word stood is literal proof positive that he is physically alive in their midst. It is a declaration of his humanity. It's a declaration that he is here. I love the language of my Bible. And he said to them, the next slide says it best, peace be with you. Everybody say, 
I am grateful, Pastor, for Logos software that teaches me how to say these words. Because <laughs> I don't know what the Greek is. I'm no Greek scholar. I, I'm a basketball coach that got saved and God has made him a preacher. I've never been to seminary. I've never been to Bible college. Lord God, I've not even been to vacation Bible school. Are y'all with me? So I'm not the sharpest pencil in the drawer. I'm from Alabama, Lord God. That tells you all you need to know right there. All right? So I, when I use this word, I'm not trying to show off to you. I'm just telling you that's what the word is. When he said, peace be with you. See, I know that y'all, y'all, I know that y'all don't use that phrase around here, but that's an Alabama colloquialism. I found a new one in Tennessee. Y'all want to hear it? Ewans. What the heck is a Ewans? Are y'all with me? But it's just a way that they greet each other. See, it's not Nevada, it's Nevada, right? It's a way, it's a, it's a, it's a, a normal way of talking. See, every Jew would greet each other with Ereni. Peace be with you. It was just a common term. But see, what's really common about this word is it's the same word in the Hebrew, shalom, that means completeness, soundness, and well-being. But it's also exactly the same word in Isaiah chapter 9, where he said, he is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, and the prince of Ereni. He's also the same word in Luke chapter 2 when the angel showed up to the shepherds and said, Ereni, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So the same exact word in John chapter 16 when Jesus was teaching the disciples before the high priestly prayer when he said, I have come that you may have peace and you will have trouble. You will get sucker punched. You will get the wind knocked out of you. But I have come that you might have peace because I have overcome the world. He's making a statement of his deity even in that. I have come that you might have peace. Now listen to me very carefully. If you don't hear another thing I have to say today, hear this. Never in the history of mankind has such a common geographical colloquialism been filled with such power. You see, here's the reality. Jesus said, peace be with you. The last time they heard him publicly was where? On Golgotha on that Friday. And the last thing they heard him say was what? It is finished. And now he says, peace be with you. Why did Jesus come to earth to reconcile holy God to a sin cursed, godless world. Billy Graham made it famous by saying how to have peace with God. So here it is. Jesus Christ is peace. 
And he's saying peace with you. When he said that, listen to me. It got their attention. Never had a word of such commonness been filled with such power. Can I tell you this? Last night, I spoke for over an hour. Because it was time for the men of that room to kind of carve out some time, not being in a hurry, and understand that we're enemies with God. And we need peace with God. And God let 17 men mark on a card saying, I am now a friend of God. Aren't you excited about that? I am too. See, here's the reality. I drove through your town. I saw the casinos everywhere. I drove by the brothels and took pictures and sent it to my wife. I said, can you believe this? I did not go in. But I couldn't, I can't believe where I am. This world needs peace with God. Calvary, tell them, peace be with you. That's what Easter's all about. This room ought to be running over because you're so committed to tell the people of this community, peace be with you. Come find out where you can find peace. Use who's your one because that one is going to hell. Use your one and use Easter to be a rallying cry that they can experience peace with God. I'm telling you, it's an amazing truth. Why don't you read verse 20 with me out loud? When he said this, peace, he showed them his hands and his side. John, do you realize in earlier in the worship set, you sang a song right before reckless love and y'all used the words hands and feet? Well, that's biblical too because Dr. Luke said he showed them his hands and his feet. But John says hands and his side. Can I tell you why? See, Dr. Luke was a physician. And he was showing the instrument wounding of death. When the nails went in his wrist and the nails went in the arches of his feet, it allowed Jesus Christ to suffocate on the cross. And he died of cardiac arrest because of the suffocation in the water and the fluids. But see, John's gospel is declaring the deity of Christ. And even right now, he's not talking about the instruments of death. He's talking about the instance of life because Jesus Christ died on the cross. When they pierced his side, those trained assassins did not have to break his legs because they knew he was dead. They knew what death looked like. So they stuck a spear in his side and the water burst forth from the pericardium to prove that he had died. He did not faint. He was not stolen. He was not lost. Jesus Christ died and that is where the peace comes in because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. The resurrection validates that his price was paid and because of that John is declaring this one right here died for all of humanity. Maybe you're in this room today and you don't really know him. I want to tell you that you can know him. 
You must know him. As a matter of fact, tell the person beside you, what is the definition of the word must? You're not talking. Tell her what does must mean. Listen to me. Must is unavoidable. You must be born again, Nicodemus. Who said that? Jesus, not me. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the one who hung on the tree and he rose from the dead and he brought peace to mankind. I'm telling you in Jesus' name. Somebody here today, your one word is Ereni. You need the peace of God. You need it. There's probably a saved person here that needs a little more peace. Can I get a witness? Anybody feeling that? You're saved and you know you're saved, but you need more peace in your life. Y'all know the old story, don't you? Pastor Sam and his sweet wife were riding down the road, got in their old car, and they're going down there as the red lights. John Wellman and his wife got in the pick-em-up truck. They got in there, and they're following Pastor and his sweet wife. They got up to the red light, and Pastor and his wife were just kissing and acting crazy up in there. They're doing a double tongue, lung, something thing. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. It was really kind of vulgar. They were kissing, and they were all over each other, like, whoa, what's going on? And Brother John is sitting there in his pick-em-up truck, and his his wife said, hey, uh, hey, uh, hey, John, we used to do that. And John looked at her and said, I ain't moved. I ain't moved. I'm right here at the steering wheel. If you know that that whole story is a lie, please say that's a lie. (laughs) But I'm trying to make a point. Some of you need peace with God because you've moved away from intimacy with Christ. And you need a rainy. And today at the end of this message, can I tell you what's going to happen? I'm going to say, You can have peace with God again. I know you're already saved. But come, because peace is with you right here. And for some of you in this room that are Christian, and you need to come back to him in intimacy, you need to come kneel in this altar today and say, Lord, I need more peace. It says this, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They saw his wounds. His presence was one moment that spoke in their life. Look at verse 21. See, I believe that today some of you are going to see Jesus more clearly. And God's going to bring peace in your life. But Jesus said to them, again, peace. There's something significant about double mentions. See, the Holy Spirit did not move on John Mark to write this because the Holy Spirit just likes to hear himself speak. When the Bible repeats itself, we better take notice. And Jesus said again, peace be with you. That's not the second time you'll see that in this text. A little later on, eight days later, Thomas didn't believe. And he comes in the room and Jesus said what to him? Peace be with you, Thomas. And he shouted, oh my Lord, my God. He never touched Jesus Thomas said, I'm going to have to touch him to believe. 
this time he saw him. Some of you need to see him like that today. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As and so are important words. See, as the Father has sent me is the word apostello. He was sent from God the Father to reconcile man to God because of his holiness, God's holiness, and his need to be worshipped, his desire to be worshipped. So he sent Jesus to reconcile sinful man to him. He had not only the, 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 the mission of God, he had the authority of God. Everybody say, Jesus had authority. He's fully God, he's fully man. But then Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This word is a different word. It's the word pimpo, P-E-M-P-O. In the Greek language, what does it mean? It means that you too are sent for your who's one. You too are sent for your Easter. You too are sent for that, that, that Seder thing that y'all are going to do. You too are sent to make a difference. No, you do not have the authority. You're not God. But you are on mission. Everybody say it with me out loud. Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. We're a mission from God. That's what we are, man. We really are. We're a mission from God. God has left us here to make a difference in Elko, Nevada. God wants to use you. And I'm telling you, some of you have forgotten this word. You're not dead because he's not done with you. I don't know who you know, young man, but you know somebody that needs Jesus. I don't know who you know, sister, but you know somebody who needs Jesus. I don't care who you are. You are a pimpo. You have been sent from God. You are on mission from God. You are his ambassador. And because of that, take a look at verse number 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Here, here's one word for you. Everybody say, wow. wow. Now do this right now. Ooh. It's kind of spooky stuff right here, right? And, and I'm going to come back to this one because I think it's significant. But don't get this twisted. This literally happened. Jesus said, peace be unto you. And then he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23 says this. A lot of people get this twisted. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any of them, it is withheld. So give me one word right here. What? See, the, the Catholics have got this all wrong. They believe that the Pope can, with papal authority, breathe forgiveness. Give absolution. That, that's a lie from hell. It's not true. There is no forgiveness apart from the remission of our sins because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He is our atonement. There is no other way under heaven whereby men might meet God except through Jesus Christ. So don't get this twisted, but this is the whole message of the gospel. And as a pimpo, you and I are to preach the gospel. We're to tell the gospel. We're to tell the radical transformation in our lives for what Jesus has done for us. Everybody say amen. Now say it with me aloud. I'm a pimpo. And you're responsible with the gospel and what you're going to do with it. So now the next slide is going to take you back to verse number 22 because this is my one word. 
for 2020. See, maybe for you today, your one word is Ereni. Maybe you need peace with God because you're not a part of the family of God. Maybe you need peace with God because you are a part of the family of God, but life is choking out the life in you. But I want to tell you that this word, emphuzio, is my one word for 2020. Because when Jesus breathed on them, this was a significant moment. This was a symbolic moment. I wrote it down this way, and hopefully that this will help you. Because when he said this, he said, It was symbolic in that this was received in the Jewish culture as a blessing. Now, if I came down there and got in your face and breathed on you, it might be a little bit offensive to you. Everybody say, yeah, taco breath. All right? That might be offensive to you. But when the Jew did this on the Jew, it's pretty special. I had a friend of mine last week, I shared part of this message. And he was talking about the Asian people. And he lived for a season in Asia. And he came to me. He said, Danny, you don't understand the power of this. Because I want you to embrace this reality. When he hugged me after serving in Asia overseas in the military, he said the Asian people would walk up to you. They would greet you around the neck. And they would breathe on your neck. It was a blessing. It was significant because breath is symbolic with life. Once again, this breath signified he is alive. It is symbolic. It is significant. And it is spiritual. Because everything Jesus touches is changed. And his breath changes the game. In Genesis chapter 2, he took some clay and he emphazao, he breathed on it and life was given to mankind. In Ezekiel 37, the dry bones of Israel, he breathed on them and life came into Israel. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says that his breath will judge the wicked. The breath of God, the wind of God, are all symbolic with the Spirit of God and the life of God. But you need to understand, this breath gave life to humanity. This breath will give life to Israel, the promised people. And this breath will judge the living and the dead because Jesus has that authority. He is God. So this language, breath, is so powerful. So I appreciate the Greek word emphazao. But I learned a long time ago, there's got to be a reason English translators chose the word breathe. Webster defines the word breathe this way. Why don't you read it with me out loud? Emphazao means to inhale and exhale freely. Listen to me. I spent four months, I couldn't take a breath. I was fearful. I was scared. I was wondering, what am I going to do with the last of my life? I'm 63 years old with no job, no retirement, no annuity, no income. Four people that are depending on me to support them. What am I going to do? And is God taking his hands off of me? See, I could not breathe freely. I could not exhale freely. See, everybody do this right now. (gasps) 
You haven't thought about breathing until right now. But you've been breathing all along freely. Inhaling and exhaling. But spiritually some of you are not. The language here means to live. When my father died, the people in the room that day said, we saw life leave him. You've heard those kinds of phrases. They didn't see it. They saw the exhaling of the last breath. And that meant that life left. Can I tell you the churches in America are full of Christians who name the name of Christ, but yet they are not living out loud for the glory of God. You're not alive. I love you enough to say that some of you came unprepared to tithe today. Some of you came today, you have not touched your Bible in a week. Some of you have never shared your faith with another person. You're not living. You're a dead man walking. You may be saved, but it's time for you to live out loud your faith. Say it with me out loud. I need to live. How about the next one? To pause and rest. See, I don't know what's happening in this room, but some of y'all just need this. Why don't y'all do it with me? Time out. You just need a time out. You need to take a half time. You need to just rest in Christ. So I'm not one bit concerned about how long I'm preaching. I'm not one bit concerned about the way I'm preaching. I came here today to tell you that some of you need to breathe. See, for me, I want to breathe in his spirit. And I want to breathe out his fruit. But you have to do that so that you must get close enough to him to breathe in Jesus. Because when he's all you got, that's all you need. I need to breathe in Christ so that I can breathe out his favor and his fruit. That's the command of my life. See, my word is breathe. Emphazao. I want to be free of restraint. See, I love your pastor. And I don't want to do anything to dishonor the man of God. But I want to tell you, I am not here to make him happy. Whether pastor enjoys my preaching or appreciates what I'm doing. I am free from the performance of man. All I want to do is to worship the king. I am breathing in his spirit. And breathing out his life. But see that's not the last one word I want to give you today. Because see I've given you. Ereni. I've given you. Pempo. I've given you. Emphazao. Here's the last one. Why don't you read it with me out loud? It's coming right now. Lambano. See, the word receive is the intentionality of the will to carve out and receive. What does the word lambano in the English mean in the context of receive? Read it with me, church. Here it comes. To act as a receptacle or a container of. Say it with me out loud. He is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit resides in fragile jars of clay. 
2 Corinthians 4, 7 is my life verse. But we have this treasure, the crown jewel of glory, living inside these fragile jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 7, my life verse. I want to live pregnant with the presence of God. I want to live different on purpose for the glory of God and the cause of Christ. I want to be a receptacle of the Holy Spirit. But see, the Holy Spirit is not at home in dirty vessels. So there needs to be a place where I intentionally continue to surrender myself to Christ with intentionality, receive the cleansing power of God that I might be being filled, present tense, continually filled with the Spirit of God. When I got saved, I got all the Holy Ghost I ever need. However, I leak. And because of that, I need to continually, present tense, continually be being filled with the Spirit of God because of the dirty vessel where the Holy Spirit resides in. See, that's what today's going to be about. See, I'm done in just a moment. The invitation started when I walked to the platform. Because I'm asking you to intentionally, by your own act of voluntary submission, to assimilate the Holy Spirit into all parts of your life. To accept the Holy Spirit as authoritative in your life. The Holy Spirit can say, no Danny, don't go to the brothel. Are y'all with me? I can override that because of my own will. But I have not and I will not by the grace of God. And I pray that he'll continue to keep me a holy man of God. I want to accept it as authoritative. I want to acquire it as an experience. So the sermon's over on this last slide. Why don't you check it out? Three words today that might change your life. I believe that this county... This region, this neck of northeast Nevada can be forever changed if you'll embrace these words to change your life. See, I believe that we all need the peace of God with every head up and every eye open. I want you to raise your hand in just a moment and say, Danny, I am a Christian and I know that I'm saved. I know that there's no doubt I'm going to spend forever in heaven. If that's you, raise your hand and put it right back down. To God be the glory. But how many of you right now with every head up and every eye open say, yes, I have the peace of God for salvation. But yet there's something in my life that's going on. And I'm just telling you, I'm suffocating. I need peace. At a whole new level, if that's you, stand to your feet right now, right now, right now. Don't judge. Just celebrate that God is at work in this church. See, I don't know what's happening right over here, but they've been tears since I started preaching on this row here. My friend, I have no idea what's going on in your life. You were such an encouragement to me before I got here today. As before I walked into this room, you came and blessed me. I don't know what you're carrying today, but Eredi is yours because Eredi is here. 
If you understand that, say amen. You may be seated. See, here's the reality. It's time to go to church and act like the king is here. And we submit to the authority of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And we say yes to Jesus. So maybe a rainy for salvation needs to be yours. In a moment, your pastor is going to be standing literally right here. Because he's going to make room in this altar for some of you that need to come to the altar. But if you need to be saved today, you do not come to this altar. You go see the man of God. Your pastor will help you. He's not going to put you down. He's not going to make fun of you. He will lead you to steps with peace with God. And you can be saved today. You can be born again today. So you go see the man of God. But the rest of us, some of us need to just breathe. So I came today three time zones away on Time Change Sunday. Missing my daughter playing softball right now at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Valdosta, Georgia. I came here today. I came here to breathe on you. But you've got a choice. You must voluntarily receive him. It takes humility. It takes honesty. It takes confession. 